This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The rules and restrictions around COVID-19 always involve a balance between science and politics. Here in Ontario, the science has held sway, at least much more so than in provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan. In addition to the U.S.-fueled protests and occupations in Canada, most notably in Ottawa and at the Ambassador Bridge, people, regardless of vaccination status, have COVID fatigue. But what does the science say about the right time to let up on COVID protocols? Libby asked this of Dr. Peter Uni, scientific director of the province's COVID-19 science advisory table, when he joined Fight Back on Wednesday. Uh, the science says we should take it slow and steady. We're on the right track. We have a roadmap. And probably we uh, can follow the roadmap, including the timing. We're not quite sure yet. Why do I say that? Um, we opened up um, on 31st of January, and if you go to our dashboard and look at the wastewater signal, you see that the wastewater signal going downwards before immediately plateaued on the 31st of January. And it's now at the level roughly that we were on the 20th of December. Well, that's not a good level. The 20th of December was when uh, Omicron was spreading like wildfire. You're right, but you know, there were a lot of things happening since then. 4.7 million people got their third shot, and roughly, we don't know that exactly, but we estimate that roughly 3 to 3.5 million people got infected. All of that gives a lot of uh, background immunity, and I disagree with your statement before regarding uh, protection against infection. If people have had their third dose recently, or recently a second dose, they continue to be protected actually pretty well against infection too. This means all of that will help us to slow down what's coming. But we just now need to figure out very carefully during the next week or 10 days whether the wastewater signal and test positivity stay flat or whether they start to go up again and if they go up by how much so that we're able to predict whether a rebound actually is challenging for the healthcare system in March or whether the rebound is just, you know, another rebound that just is a small wave and we will be good to go anyway. So we just need to wait and see for the next few days and not get ahead of ourselves. That's the future here we're talking about. You know, people who won't... um, uh, who weren't in, uh, vaccinated in the past, they will still struggle typically. We see that now, so for instance, in the U.S., that uh, they have a lot of people infected, probably more than 75% of the unvaccinated, and they continue to have a worse prognosis regarding hospital and ICU admission and death than those who have received at least two doses. So what we will see is over time now, when we now move you know, into the next uh, phase of the pandemic, that the people just will get their immune system more robustly established against COVID. 
by a combination of either just vaccines, you know, the third dose makes a tremendous difference, or vaccines and infections. And that's what we're seeing. And what I hope is that we will be able soon, especially if we also get other vaccines, to convince more people to get vaccinated so that, that they can protect themselves. I want to just uh, refresh people's memories on, on how checking the wastewater works. Basically, three times a week, typically in a, in a 101 locations right now in the province, uh, people go there and they sample. Um, that's uh, basically uh, 24 hours automatic samplers, the wastewater in wastewater treatment plants. And then the, this, uh, this wastewater will be processed, you know, by university labs right now. It's many university labs in the entire province contributing to that. And then they do something very similar to what you're doing when you do a, a regular PCR test for a clinical sampling. They just do that for wastewater. And uh, these signals are uh, co- uh, collected, these analyses, the concentrations are collected by the Ministry of the Environment. And uh, we have access to that and we then summarize that to have a representative signal for the entire province. And we'll very soon also start to show that now for the regions, you know, just not only the province in its entirety, but also the different regions such as GTA uh, and uh, the Southwest separately. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the province's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. He was in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back welcomed Ontario's opposition leader to the show on Wednesday. The NDP's Andrea Horvath has been talking about her ideas for ending the anti-vaccine mandate protest and occupation in Ottawa. Her plan involves action from the provincial government as opposed to the federal government. Well, I I asked my team uh, last week, early last week, to start digging through what can the province do? I mean, what are the things the province can do uh, other than respond to requests from the city of Ottawa or other uh, other players? And and one of the things that uh, I had said to them is, uh, you know, what about the fact that these these places are these you know these cars, these vehicles, these drivers are licensed in Ontario? Uh, so is there something that we can do to tie their uh, their refusal to leave uh, to their uh, ability to hold a license in the province. And so, of course, the, uh, you may have seen the team, my team kind of did that work and, and found that, in fact, in the Highway Traffic Act, uh, the government can cancel the driver's license or the plates or the commercial vehicle uh, operating certificates of, uh, of people who are ignoring uh, existing, existing laws or, you know, frankly, for, for any other reason. Um, I've called a number of folks in Ottawa. I've spoken to uh, people there, including uh, policing folks and uh, and including representatives, and and they're saying the same things, which is these folks need to have consequences for their actions, uh, and this would be a pretty huge consequence. If you don't leave by a certain time or date, you will not be able to be licensed again in Ontario. Uh, I'm just wondering, because you look around at what's happening and they don't seem to care about consequences or the threat of consequences that the rest of us care about. Uh, you know, what, what makes you think they would care about this or they would hesitate to drive with their pulled license or challenge it or anything sure. like that? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, we know that there was a, a court injunction against the honking. 
uh, and that seemed to dissipate. I, I don't, I can't tell you what, whether they were honking last night because, frankly, I didn't uh, tune in uh, to see if they were or they weren't. But, but the uh, the injunction was uh, somewhat successful, uh, which means that they understand that there are consequences to their actions, uh, and they they at least you know acknowledge that in in, in that regard. H- having said so, uh, having said that though, the the, the consequence of of no longer being able to be a driver in Ontario. That's pretty significant. Uh, no longer being able to uh, drive uh, rig, for example, the small, small, small group of folks who who are there still causing the trouble that they're causing. Uh, that uh, that's a pretty serious consequence, and I think that uh, the consequences that, uh, that people of Ottawa are facing right now for for over two weeks now, or almost two weeks now, is uh, it has have been quite serious as well. Um, you know, there's a difference between having your voice heard and expecting to uh, show up and not go away until the government changes its mind on something. I mean, that's that's not how democracy works. Uh, we know the hateful symbols that they're they're flying uh, flying around with on their flags, uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's uh, swastikas, whether it's Confederate flags. Uh, these things are hurtful, they're painful, and they're ugly. And the behavior has been ugly, uh, not from everybody, granted, uh, but from some. And uh, it's time for these folks to go home, and it's time for our premier to take a stand, to what show up you, and take a stand. What do you think of what he's done so far? He's been very clear that he wants them to go home, and we've just heard from a couple of commentators talking about the very slippery slope and danger of being seen to direct the police. So what do you think of Ford on this so far? Well, I, I'm not all that impressed. I think he's trying to, to stride, uh, straddle both sides of the, of the issue here. I, I think on the one hand, He's saying, you know, God bless, I love truckers. On the other hand, he's saying, but I believe in vaccines. That's just not good enough. That doesn't cut it. You shouldn't be using your car uh, to, you know, prevent people from living their lives in Ottawa to try to have the government uh, change a policy that you don't like. That's not what that's not what you're licensed for and what your vehicle is for. Um, So I do think that there's an opportunity here and, and Doug Ford should should take that opportunity. Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath spoke with Libby on Wednesday. In fact, when Premier Ford invoked a state of emergency for the province on Friday, he also announced that his government is providing additional authority to consider taking away the personal and commercial licenses of anyone who does not comply with these orders. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, Brampton's mayor wants Ontario to reopen now. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The full reopening of Ontario cannot come soon enough for the mayor of Brampton. Patrick Brown insists the science backs up his request to reopen sooner. While Ontario's health minister, Christine Elliott, is still advocating a cautious approach with a three-week interval between stages. 
The next stage of loosened restrictions is scheduled to begin February 21st, one week from tomorrow. But that date might end up being moved up, as was suggested on Thursday by Ontario's chief medical officer, Dr. Kieran Moore. Libby welcomed Patrick Brown to fight back on Thursday prior to Dr. Moore's comments. Well, we have some of the most onerous restrictions in North America right now in Ontario, and other provinces and states have had a more progressive reopening than we have in Ontario. And so I've been a voice, along with Dr. Lowe, um, with um, a view that the, the right now the data is very clear, that we're seeing a very encouraging trend line. Two weeks ago at Brampton Civic Hospital, we had 110 COVID patients. A week ago, 70. This week, 38. Positivity rate dropping uh, dramatically. Wastewater indicators, very encouraging. Every indicator is is showing uh, that we've put this difficult stage uh, behind us. Our hospital capacity isn't just stable, it's strong. And I should mention, I had one of the hardest hit hospitals in the entire country. And the basis for these restrictions when they were announced was we didn't want to see the hospital capacity um, overthrown. And that's not a worry right now. And so the fact that we continue to have restaurants uh, with capacity limits that are that are very strict and uh, other small businesses and, and gyms, you know, we have to get back on, on our feet. I've, I've lost two more businesses this month in Brampton. A very well-liked uh, uh, popular restaurant announced that they've, they've gone bankrupt because of the lockdown. A local gym announced that, that they've gone under. There are economic repercussions to the severity of, of these restrictions. But I also think there's mental health consequences. You know, I spoke yesterday during my weekly press conference about the fact that that I can't go and visit um, my grandmother, uh, who's at a long-term care facility in in Toronto. Um, I know that those rules are going to change, but boy, you know, you look at the consequences, the social isolation for our seniors. um, I just think there could be a greater level of reasonableness in terms of the pace of the reopening. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to the Premier? We have heard reports that he is thinking about easing some of those restrictions. Have you talked to him about it? You know, throughout this um, period of lockdowns uh, this year, I've spoken to the Premier. I've shared my perspectives. I would say he's sympathetic to it. Um, and I, I think he's shown examples where he's been willing to pivot. You know, a good uh, example of that would be, you know, kids in school. As you know, I wasn't happy in January with the timetable. I wanted to see kids in school. My medical officer of health wanted to see kids in school. Sick kids wanted to see uh, kids in school. And the government uh, amended their timetable. And you should I, I should note, at the time, you know, you had many people saying the hospitals would be overwhelmed if we, if, if we brought kids back to school. Um, and that hasn't happened. And so there are ways to safely reopen. There are ways to get our society open again in a safe and prudent manner. Your colleague, Bonnie Crombie, uh, just this morning was saying uh, she wants the cautious pro- approach uh, to continue. Yes, certainly other mayors are entitled to their uh, perspectives. Uh, you know, uh, my uh, my sentiments are that, uh, you know, we, we can safely reopen and we don't need to have the most onerous restrictions in, in the country uh, in Ontario. What are you hearing in terms of uh, the response to that? I think there's real consideration happening at the provincial level for um, uh, um, moving up the, the, the reopening. Uh, I think if you look at other jurisdictions, not just in Canada or in the U.S., or but around the world, um, increasingly we're hearing the leaders in public health saying that we need to learn to live with COVID-19. You know, each strain of a new variant seems to come back uh, less severe. 
Uh, we have new tools, whether it's uh, vaccines or products to help uh, treat um, uh, COVID-19 in the hospital. We have more tools than ever before. And so we are going to have to learn to, to, to live with COVID-19. Uh, we, we can't be in a perpetual state of having a closed society. Um, there are economic repercussions to that. There are mental health repercussions. There's personal health and wellness repercussions. Uh, and and, and I, I'm cautiously optimistic that the government's going to pivot on this. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown in conversation with Libby on Thursday. The next day, Premier Ford announced that very soon a plan will be announced that will allow for the removal of the vaccine certificate system. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It should soon be much easier to get your hands on a rapid antigen test kit. Maybe you've already picked one up for free at a pharmacy or a grocery store. On Wednesday, Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott announced that more than 2,300 grocery stores and pharmacies in the province will be providing free rapid antigen test kits. As many as 5.5 million of these tests will be made available every week for eight weeks. We all remember the Hunger Game-like scenes when the first limited set of rapid tests were distributed before the holidays. Joining Libby on Thursday to talk about the current rollout, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. The entire rollout of the rapid antigen test has been one that uh, we can certainly learn from and, and avoid some of these mistakes uh, in the future. But the, the difference between this program and those that uh, are selling it in, in various uh, retail outlets is that the, the ones that are being sold were privately procured and not supplied by government. So, um, you know, a retailer would have worked with the manufacturer, they would have purchased those rapid antigen tests, and then they would resell it uh, to the public. That is different than those that are supplied by government that are intended to be free of charge, which is what we're embarking on now through those 2,300 retailers, of which approximately 2,100 are are pharmacy locations. Um, So that's the, the difference. And there should be no monetary transaction attached to uh, in order to be eligible or get the, the kit. And I know there's been some uh, discussion out there about uh, different schemes, but the intention is to offer these to the public through these locations uh, free of charge. Okay, yeah, but uh, my question is, uh, aren't they uh, eating their own lunch to a certain extent? I know of pharmacies who just got purchased uh, rapid antigen tests. Yes, and so there is a, a bit of that, but uh, let's be honest, 5 million kit is not going to uh, last long with the population of 14 and a half million. You have guidance still to do this twice weekly um, and uh, those that want to confirm if they have symptoms to avoid the, the spread of infection. So I, I expect with the demand that we're already seeing, we're going to fly through those um, and without a replenishment, we're going to be back where we were before this, uh, needing to um, get more into the hands of, of Ontarians. Now, this is all evolving because right now these kits are actually off-label use, meaning they're not approved for self-testing. But the government has uh, provided author authority to use them uh, in a capacity that they weren't originally designed for. But what you're going to see is all of these companies um, are applying for a self-test uh, component, home, a true home consumable, um, and it'll be packaged uh, accordingly. So you will see more out there in the market, I think, once those approvals from Health Canada arrive. If people go this afternoon, are they going to be able to get those kits? 
Well, as I was looking outside my office window, I saw the lineups at some of the pharmacies this morning and uh, no guarantees. It's a largely first come, first serve uh, uh, nature of what way we're distributing these. So it's possible. Uh, many pharmacies have them, but uh, they will run out fairly quickly. And I know that will be frustrating for many who are uh, still out there searching for these, but uh, they will get replenishment next week and, and every week thereafter. So best thing to do is probably check on the websites. Um, there will be a list, I believe, on the government website of all the participating pharmacies. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, people can persevere and have some patience as well and not take out uh, frustrations if there is no supply. You know, remember that these pharmacists are doing this to uh, in kind to help support access to these test kits. And uh, it's not their fault if there's no supply. Mm-hmm. And um, anything you would like to leave us with on this? Well, I think this is uh, continuing to be an evolution. Uh, we've seen so much changes with a testing criteria on the PCR side, you know, entry requirements for various jurisdictions. And we're going from, you know, having lots of access to PCR testing and tracing and tracking to virtually none. Um, so this is our last sort of tool to do the screening. And it's really important if we want to prevent the spread, do it right um, and allow for people that have to self-isolate for the five days uh, an opportunity to do that because there's asymptomatic and symptomatic. Uh, and who knows what the next variant may be. Hopefully there isn't one, but uh, we, we need more test kits and we need even better access than what we have today. And uh, we're going to continue to work with the government on solutions and We'll, we'll certainly step up where, where we can. Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, in conversation with Libby on Thursday. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Nelson in Strathroy phoned about the anti-vaccine protest and occupation in Ottawa. They have their kids as well with them in their truck, so you can't even do aggressive police action. So who in their right mind would they take their kids to a demonstration? The one point I was also going to state is that they're talking about freedoms that they, they want to put it out for, for mandates and vaccines. And around the world, that all these countries are against it. Uh, if they listen to the news worldwide, there's one country that a lot of people look up to, from what I understand, and, they, and hopefully you can fact-check on this one for me. Austria recently uh, made it mandatory for anyone over 18 uh, had to be vaccinated. And within a couple months' time, like in the summertime, the authorities have the authorization to go to their citizens and check if they are vaccinated. And if they are not, they can be fined up to 600 euros. Dan in Elmwood phoned with some solutions to end the Ottawa occupation. I just called my MP and he happens to be a PC and let him know that uh, they need to get their support behind Trudeau. They need to get the army in there with their big tow trucks and 
get those things out of their seat as the uh, private private ones won't do it. Another thing they can do, like Andrea Horvath was saying, take their commercial licenses and their CVORs. Take them for five years. That that, that might do it. Rudy in Toronto called prior to the 10-day injunction issued to stop anti-vaccine mandate protesters in Ottawa from blaring horns all hours of the day and night. This incessant honking in Ottawa is having a detrimental effect on people's health, especially those with high blood pressure and heart conditions. Even in my city, when I hear somebody blaring their horn, when a simple beep would do it, it it, uh, unnerves me. And the other thing is that uh, people maybe not consider, but to me it's just as important as the effect it has on the wildlife of the city. You know, birds need to sleep at night. They can't survive night after night with that kind of honking. I know from anecdotal evidence that it can kill them. And the, even the natural things like loud thunder has, has killed the birds. And then people have their pets in, uh, at home, and uh, we know what happens with them. They, they cower under the bed and so on. So it, it's not just us humans, it's the animals. And, and these people that uh, think they, they're having a good time just blaring their horns, they don't, don't think about the, the harm they're causing to us. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Ron in Guelph, who phoned about the Ottawa protest and who is controlling it and advocating for it. What's scary is what started off as an idea, Trucker Convoy, when I heard Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck from Fox News interview, and I said, uh-oh, this is swinging the other direction, and it's taken on a whole new life of its own. The far right are now becoming uh, a presence. Um, we saw that with uh, Maxime Bernier, and some of his supporters are obviously the far right, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for where our country is heading um, in the direction it's going right now with um, I mean, this is getting crazy out there now. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.